that's a part of the service tonight, go ahead and stand to your feet. Uh, turn around, shake about 14 people's hands, tell them you're glad to see them, and uh, continue to stand. If you got your seat, stay standing, stay standing, take your Bible, turn to the book of Exodus chapter number 17. Exodus chapter number 17, uh, most of you know tonight that our brother Malcolm is in Ohio and uh, he's in revival and we definitely want to lift him up tonight in our prayers. Uh, brother Travis and his ministry is on their way to Oklahoma to uh, try to reach out to those folks in the tornado areas and I appreciate all the folks that have helped him get loaded up uh, to get his bus hooked up and all the wires working and air conditioners and all of the supplies that they have actually taken and uh, definitely looking forward to hearing some great things back from them but I'm glad you're here tonight and I hope and pray that you've come to receive a blessing I know that I have and before we get started, let's just go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the many blessings that you've given to us. Father, I know that for a lot of folks, it's been a very busy week. It's been a very hectic week as school is coming to a close and schedules are going to change up here for a few days. And Father, I just ask you, Lord, tonight that as we come together into your house, Father, I pray we could focus upon your word, forget about all the, the cares of life. And Father, we'd just be able to hear from heaven tonight. Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And I pray, God, right now that your will would be done in each and every person's life. And all this we ask in your sweet and holy name. Amen. I want to do something before we start reading the passage tonight. I know a lot of you folks have got big Bibles. But I think, are we going to have Exodus up on the, alright, you can put your Bible down, and while you're putting your Bible down, you can read from the screen, but I want you to raise your arms up, and leave them up the whole time that I read this passage of scripture, and it'll mean something to you here in just a moment. Exodus chapter 17, I'm going to raise one hand up in support of you. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand 
that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword, and the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book. And recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar, called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Are your arms getting just a little bit heavy? Can you imagine having a rod in your arms, holding it over your head all day long, watching a battle on the battlefield from top of a hill of the people that you love, the people that you care for, and knowing that ultimately their victory rests upon your strength of holding your hands up. The reason I preach the message tonight is twofold. Number one, I know this is what God has led me to share with Temple Baptist Church. Number two, I want you to have a little bit of the ideal of what it's like to pastor a church and to lead its people and the strength involved to do it. Because I believe through the scriptures we'll find out the importance of our pastor in our lives and winning the victory every day. You can be seated and you can put your hands down. As we begin to think about this passage, I want you to know there's a lot of things that we need to understand to get the real message here. And I'm going to try as quickly as I can to cover some of that. But ultimately our message tonight is this question. What does it take to win a battle? Do you have any battles in your lives? Do you battle every day, Brother Buchanan, in your life spiritually? Carla, do you ever have a battle in your life? Tyrone, do you ever have battles in your lives? We all have battles. And if we're going to live a Christian life, we need to come to the place in our life to realize that not having a battle is not an option. Because we're always going to have a battle. Now, if you want to live a life that has very few battles, you need to change churches. You need to go to a dead church with a dead preacher that don't plan on doing anything and then you'll get through life relatively easy because the devil ain't going to bother you a whole lot. But I'll promise you the direction this church is headed and the vision 
that God's put on this pastor's heart, if you're going to stay around and be effective and active in doing what God's called us to do, you better hang on, put on the seatbelt, because the battles are coming. And if we're going to be victorious, we need to have a battle plan. We need to know what we're facing, and we need to know what it takes to be victorious. Let me ask you something. And I don't know, there's probably some people in here that's connected to this, so I'm going to use it real loosely. But um, do you really think that a year ago, that if you had been on the Cold Springs football team that hadn't won a game in three years, that it made it any easier to lose? It don't make any difference if you've lost 36 games in a row. If you really have a desire to win, the next loss is still a loss. And, and I use that illustration to say this. Sometimes we come into God's house feeling very defeated. I mean, you can have a great life going on. But the very next day, you may have a battle in your life that brings about defeat and you just feel like, I don't know if I'm going to make it another day. Friend, I want to tell you, the battle is don't get stuck there. There is something to press forward towards. There's something that keeps us moving on. You can see the introduction that I put. If we're going to faithfully serve God, there's going to be battles in our lives. There's a verse of scripture, and I'm, I'm not going to teach on this, but it kind of just brings us to pass to where we are in Matthew 10 and 22. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures unto the end, the, the same shall be saved. I really do believe with all of my heart that the importance of the Christian life is not how fast you get started out of the gate. But it's how steady you're still going when the end of the road comes. How many times have we saw Christians get involved in the church? I'm telling you, they take off like a flame. They're like a rocket out of, out of nowhere. And they go very, very, very short distance down the road. And they fizzle out. And before you know it, you can't find them nowhere. That's really not the Christian life God's trying to find. He's looking for folks that have persevered, that have paced themselves, and are still fighting the battle come the end. So we want to win the victory. We want to win the battle. There's got to be some plans to take place. Now for us to get involved in this passage tonight, there's some things that we really do need to know that's going to help us out. We're in the book of Exodus chapter 17 we all mostly know that this is the story of the exodus or the exiting of the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And the reason they're coming out of Egyptian bondage is because they have been chosen by God himself to represent the seed of David that will become our Savior. And God is pulling them out. He has chosen them for this purpose. And there's a lot of things that took place in their lives. You can go back and read the story about the ten plagues. How God brought plague after plague after plague into the Egyptian uh, family and through the Egyptian people. And God continued to show mercy 
mercy to the children of Israel. And finally the Pharaoh said, not only can you have them, you better come get them before I run them out of this place. And they left. They were in slavery. I mean, they were living lives that were terrible at that time. But when they got out of Egyptian bondage and they headed towards the Red Sea, the first obstacle of their free life, what are we going to do now? They could almost, and I believe they could hear and see the dust cloud of the Egyptian army coming. They had the Red Sea in front of them and they seemed to be an impassable task and they're crying out to Moses their leader who not just too many weeks before was on the backside of the desert tending to his father-in-law's sheep minding his own business and God kind of come up to him clicked him on the shoulder and said hey Moses I need you to go do something for me he didn't want to be there But that's what God chose him to do. And he's brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and they're to the Red Sea. And here's the first obstacle. They pray through all of that. They get across the Red Sea. They're on the other side. Here comes the Egyptian army. The water comes back together. All the Egyptian army drowns. And it's a great victory for the children of Israel. Well, it's just beginning. The first traveling they do... They come to a place that we know as Meribah and they begin to drink the water and what's happened? The water is bitter. They start complaining against. This is the beginning of the Baptist church. I know it is. They start complaining. And they come to Moses who's their leader and it's all his fault. And Moses prays and, and, and God tells Moses what to do to cut down a tree, throw it in the water, and he does. And the water is sweet. And they go on a little further. And the Bible records to us that they're actually headed to the promised land. They're going to the place that God has chosen for them to go. And in the process of doing that, they find themselves here in chapter number 17. And they've gotten to the place, only the second place after they've crossed the Red Sea. And they're thirsty. I think I'll take a drink of water. They're thirsty. And they don't have any water. And the Bible says that they start chiding with Moses. Now, I want to just stop right there and throw this plug in. It don't make any difference. It ain't going to cost you no more. But why is it that while we're being obedient to God, and that's one thing we need to understand about this story. At this point in the time, children of Israel are obedient. They're doing what God told them to do. God's leading them to be where they're at. They're not here out of disobedience. They're here out of obedience coming from Egyptian bondage headed to the place that flows with milk and honey. They're headed in the direction God wants them to go. But when there is an obstacle, why is it always Moses' fault? They always began to complain to Moses when the real problem is not with Moses, it's with the plan, it's with God, it's for the reason they are there. 
And I don't know how many pastors we have in the room, but I'm going to tell you, I've seen it over and over and over again in my life and other preachers' lives. You're doing what God called you to do. The church is headed in the direction God wants it to be. And the first obstacle that comes along, the first thing that comes up that's not in the plan, and it's your fault for leading them down this path. Preacher, you're the reason my name's on a bank note and I'm wanting to leave. It's his fault. Well, you're the one told me if I'd teach this class we could reach some little kids. And I don't even like kids. It's always the preacher's fault. And here Moses is with the children of Israel and, and they're needing water and they're thirsty and Moses... He's just doing what God told him to do. And he don't know where the water's at, but they go to complaining. Now, here's some things we need to know that's going to help us get to where we're headed with this. Here we find when, when the water is found, they get it from a rock. God takes care of that need. Then the story that we picked up here beginning in verse number 8 is, is the Amalekites start coming against them to fight. This is the first battle. The first physical confrontation the children of Israel face en route to the promised land. Now it brings up a subject. Something that I don't know that I have the answer to but I've got an idea about it. They've just crossed the Red Sea. They've just come out of Egyptian bondage. They've just found water for the first time. And they're already in a battle. But we never find in Scripture where they made for themselves weapons. So where did they get the weapons? Now I had to think about that when I finally thought about it. The only place they could have gotten weapons was if they had stayed at the Red Sea and watched the Egyptian army drowned and found their weapons as they floated up on the other side. Now I don't know if that does anything for you or not. But can I just tell you that it might very well be that the enemy has the tools that we need. We just need God to take them down so we can get them back. Hey, think about this. Think about the fact that the, the resources to build the next building may be in the enemy's hands today. And God's fixing to change possessions with it. Hey, that might preach a while. But think about that. This is the first battle. But not only that, only two times, and this is the first, in 40 years of traveling that we know of, wandering in the wilderness, that they actually needed water. Now the miracle here is not that they needed water. The miracle here, in my opinion, is, is for 40 years God provided them water and this is only the first time they'd actually needed water. Now, when we say the children of Israel, just to get an idea about what we're talking about here, there were between two and five 
million people. Brother Tim, can you imagine cooking grilled chicken for between two and five million hungry Baptists and not having all the charcoal we need at the time? Can you imagine how upset these folks were? Hey, I didn't want that kind of water. I want this kind of water. Well, there you go. The place here that we find Rephidim, that the story picks us up, it says we're in. The word Rephidim actually means a place of rest. Now think about this with me as we get into this message. The children of Israel have been in Egyptian bondage. They've come out of that Egyptian bondage by haste. They've went across the Red Sea. They've watched the Egyptian army die. They've taken up their weapons and they begin to march on. And they come to this place where there was no water, but they found water. And guess what? They stayed a while. It was a place of rest. Now we don't find this part here in, in the book of Exodus. But if you go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 25 and you actually hear the recording of Moses telling this history account of what happened, we find that Amalek and the Amalekites actually began to do battle with those of the Israelites who were weak. The children, the older folks, those that were dragging around, those that were slower than the rest of the crowd. And there's a message in that for us today that, that the devil is always looking for those who are weak. Now, think about this with me. I've got two boys, y'all know them. We've watched probably every Animal Planet show, every wilderness show, every trip to Africa and back, we've saw it. And, and the Bible even records in the New Testament that, that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, I've watched enough of them shows. And really and truthfully, Satan, as well as this predator, is not always looking for the skinniest, the weakest, malnourished. I mean, really. How much could you get out of an animal that's sick, that skin's just hanging on it, nothing but bones? Yeah, it might be an easy kill, but do you really want to eat a sick, half-starved something that's dragging around and can't keep up? Not necessarily. I'll tell you what the predator's after. The predator is after the fattest, most healthy thing it can find that's not paying attention. And Satan is the same way. Now that fact is going to mean a little more to you here in just a minute. But just think about that tonight. 
we find here in this passage of Scripture that these Amalekites were of the descendants of Esau. And the Bible records that Esau and his brother would always do war with one another. And the last verse that I read to you, the Bible says, The Lord told Moses that they would have war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. Always enemies with one another. So we've laid down a little foundation. We kind of got a picture of what we're doing here. How are we going to win the battle? How are you as an individual tonight going to win the battles in your life? And how is Temple Baptist Church going to win the battles that they will face in their own lives? Here's three things. Three things that I've kind of filled in for you that's going to prepare us to be ready for those battles. And I don't know how many of y'all are on Facebook. Uh, You may be one of my... 2,700 friends, I don't know if you are or not, Uh, if you want to be that's fine, but I put something on Facebook this afternoon in reference to the message tonight, and I want you to understand this, I'm not preaching this message tonight as one who has conquered everything that I'll share, I'm preaching the message tonight as preacher said several weeks ago, I'll never forget this as far as I go in the ministry, I don't believe. The message he preached and the statement he said was this, I'm just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to go find some bread. Folks, tonight if I can just help you find a little morsel of bread that will help you in a battle that's going on in your life, then I believe I've done what God has allowed me to do and leading me to do tonight. So what is required for you to win the battles in your life? First of all, people. There are some people that's required in your life to win battles. Let me tell you something. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know where you used to go, if you used to go anywhere. But you will never be successful in your Christian life trying to do it by yourself. It won't work. The Bible even records in the New Testament that we are to forsake ye not the assembling together of ourselves. Now listen, if you've ever made this statement or if you've ever heard this statement, I'm telling you, you got it all wrong. But I've heard people say this over and over and over again. Well, I don't have to go to church to go to heaven. You don't have to. But if you're saved, you'll want to. Amen? If you do not want to fellowship with the family of God, you better check up your salvation tonight, friend, because we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Now, there may have come a point in time you didn't want to go to the church you'd been going to. That's between you and them and you and God. But I'm telling you, as a child of God, And if I told you my story, some of you would cry and weep and wail and carry on feel sorry for me. But I ain't going to tell you my story. But I'm just going to tell you, I got every reason in my life to have walked away from church. 
I ain't walking away from the best thing that ever happened to me, friend. I'm not walking away from the best part of my life. I know what God's brought me through. I know what God has done in my life. And I'm not going to turn my back on the Savior of the world, the Savior of my life. I'm not turning my back on the best thing that's ever happened to me. There's three people that's required in your life to win battles. This passage shows us the picture. And, and the picture here shows us of a man by the name of Moses. Now let me just tell you, and, and, and well I'll just go ahead and tell you, you can make up your own conclusions. God chose Moses. The children of Israel didn't choose Moses. And I believe God chooses leaders to come to congregations. You know what the greatest thing is about Temple Baptist Church? I don't know that I've been here a full calendar year yet, but I've been here long enough to know I ain't been to a business meeting yet. Hallelujah! You know what I believe is the biggest train wreck of any church? Let's vote on it, preacher. The children of Israel voted on it in a few chapters from here. And you know what? They got it wrong. There are times in business meeting in churches that the minority has it right. And the majority is leading wrong. So my friend, I want to tell you one of the most important things you'll ever have in a church is a pastor. Moses was the pastor of the children of Israel. Every child of God needs a pastor. Needs to be a member of a local body of believers so they can use and exercise their spiritual gifts. Listen to what the story says here in this passage. The Bible begins to tell us here in verse number 9. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men. Go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Friend, I want to tell you something. When we begin to find in this passage of Scripture that Moses sought out God and Moses did what God told him to do, the children of Israel became victorious. And when a church and a congregation, and a body of believers, when they get behind the vision of their pastor and begin to do what the pastor says we ought to do, you'll find a group of people that will become victorious in their lives. You want to know something that will defeat a church quicker than anything? Just go against the pastor. Let me just tell you, I've been in Coleman County all my life, 42 years. I know, I don't look a bit over 35, but I'm telling you, I've been in some rough Baptist churches, okay? This is the picture of deacons meetings, all right? When I got married, I weighed 200 pounds, four churches, and 22 years later, look what I've got into. But can I just tell you that if you'll get behind your pastor... 
When you get behind him and support him and pray for him, you can see great things happen for the honor and the glory of God. And don't even put a butt in it. Just do and follow what God's man says do. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it don't make sense to me that one month you can stand and raise your hand or stand to your feet or hide behind your secret ballot and hide your vote because you don't want nobody else to know how you vote because you still want to be their friend even though you're going against all of your friends, probably against God too, but that's another story. Regardless of how you voted, it's amazing that in less than four weeks, people can flip-flop. They can vote on a preacher this month and next month be ready to run him off. It happened to me. Now, can you imagine anybody wouldn't like me? As easy and meek and mild and easy to get along with as I seem to be. Listen, I don't take God don't work that way. If God is calling a man to a congregation to lead that congregation, you better get behind God and move in that direction. We're talking about winning victories in our lives. Listen to what took place here in this passage. We find here when things begin to take place, when things begin to move in a backwards direction, when things begin to not go as exactly the way that it was, in verse number 5, the Lord said to Moses, Go on in front of the people. Go on before the people. That's what he says in verse 5. And take with you some of the elders, and also take with you the rod with which you struck the river and go. They needed water. Things was dry. Everybody was thirsty. So God told Moses, go on in front. Can I tell you that one of the hardest jobs of a pastor is to cut a path that nobody else has trod? Think about that for a minute. The hardest job for a pastor is to go where no man has gone. Let me tell you what happens in most Baptist churches in business meetings. Hey preacher, I know a church down the road, they've been doing this thing and it's working for them. Why don't we try it here? Well, if it worked for somebody else, maybe it'll work for us. And so we try it. Ain't that usually the way it works? Won't try this one on. Hey, preacher, I don't know if anybody's ever tried this or not, but I think this is what God's leading us to do. You think that's going to get a vote in the Baptist church? I don't know if anybody else ever done it, but this is what I believe the Lord's leading me to do. Psst, hey, you better not vote. <clears throat> you better watch it. Can you just see how that works? When Moses got away from the people, he got along with God, but he wasn't by himself. He brought some of the leaders with him. Not just so he needed their opinion or approval, 
but so they could hear what God told him and they could be a witness. And not only did they have the witness and not only did he get away from the people, but he had the rod. The rod stood for the presence and the power of God. The rod had already did a lot of things for Moses. If you'll remember when God was calling Moses, he needed a sign. He threw the thing down and it turned to a serpent. And then God told him to take it up again. Well, maybe he wasn't Baptist. Maybe he's Church of God. But anyway, he, he reached down and picked it up and it became a staff again. Listen, I'm telling you, when God moved in Moses' life, this staff was here. And it was a symbol of presence and power. And when it came time for Moses to lead the children of Israel to a direction that it hadn't been, that's what he needed. You know what? I'm glad God sent a Moses to Temple Baptist Church. I'm glad God sent a man... It's a Temple Baptist Church that would go against the stream, go against the tradition, and not just go against it for the sake of going against it, but go against it for the sake of the community in which it was in to reach them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, I'm telling you what the truth, the message has not changed in this place. The message is as strong as it's ever been. It's as gun barrel straight as it can get. But I'm telling you, I see the method changing day after day after day in order to reach folks for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about. We've got a great pastor, but he cannot do it alone. The second thing I find here in this passage is not only the people required to bring victory as a great pastor, but it's also some support to the pastor. Now the Bible says here in this, pastor, in this passage that Moses had two guys that helped him on top of, mount, of the mountain. And the Bible even records that these two guys went with him from the very beginning. I believe God knew it was going to be tough that day to hold up the rod. And he sent these guys to be with him. Their names were Aaron and Hur. I don't really know what God was all about about sending a Hur up to help to him, but that's exactly the way it took place. Every pastor has got to have a few good men. A few good men that he can share with, that he can pray with, that can be a witness in his life of what God is sharing with him. Now folks, I'm going to tell you, some of you may very well leave today and you may very well think, I hope they never get that fat ball-headed guy to come back and preach. That's fine. They probably won't, so you're probably safe. But can I just tell you this afternoon, when I came home to prepare for everything I was going to share tonight, First of all, my computer that I use is normally a laptop and I use it in the recliner because it's just got a short cord. I moved the kitchen table, our entire kitchen table, right over there to behind the recliner so I could set my computer up. 
And I'm telling you, for about an hour and a half this afternoon, I had my notepad out, and I had my Bible out, and I had my computer on. And man, me and God, woo! I, I began to see things in this passage that I'd never seen before. I've been preaching 25 years now. I, I did a lot of study in my time. But I'm telling you, I was about to bust a gut this evening to get here to share what God was sharing with me. Wesley knows what I'm talking about. Brother Chris knows what I'm talking about. Folks, you as a pastor, you got to have a few folks around you that you can just share with because it's so good. Brother Malcolm's got to have those guys. Listen, a church of this numbers, and it don't matter if it's 1,700, 170, or 17, that pastor's got to have those few guys that are in his circle that he trusts that trust him and they can share things that nobody will ever know they'll share things that nobody will ever hear but they just got to get it out into the open that's what this, these guys were and I don't know where you stand with brother Malcolm hey I, you know brother Malcolm's got his guys I'm sure he shares with those folks but I'm telling you it don't matter if you're one of those inner circle guys. Hey, even Jesus had three closer than anybody else. Peter, James, and John. If, if it's good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for Malcolm to have a couple that he's closer to. And I'm going to tell you, you better not get all jealous because you're not in the three. Well, he, he just don't ever tell me that. I don't even know what's going on. Why, me and my wife both hear everything the same time. He don't call me. He don't ever send me no Facebook mail. I ain't never got a coon hunting call. I don't even fish. <laughs> hey, keep all that to yourself, all right? He don't need that. What he needs is every one of us supporting him and encouraging him and praying for him. Hey, I, let, me, let me just, uh, hey, I'm on a roll now. Hang on. I, most of y'all probably know his daughter had surgery last week. Did y'all know that? I hope you prayed for him. Most of y'all probably know that he's in Ohio this week. Did y'all know that? We know that. How many of you been by his house to mow his yard? Huh? Oh. That's what I'm talking about. And I'm telling you right now, I don't even know where he lives. All right? But I would suspect Tammy will get a call or a text message sometime tonight or tomorrow seeing if the grass needs cut. <laughs> there might actually be a coon dog that needs some water in the morning there might be a kennel that needs the poop washed out of it <laughs> if you want to do something support him hold him up why any preacher got many folks he don't need no coon dog no he needs three of them anybody have to put up with all these church folks he needs something to do every night of the week just to keep him from going crazy 
we got to have support for our pastor. We don't need people taking digs at him. We don't need folks criticizing his family. We don't need folks criticizing his activities outside of church. We need folks praying for him, supporting him, lifting him up. Because I'm going to get somewhere in a minute now. Y'all better hang on. It's good right now, but it's fixing to get old me time. Look what else took place. We're talking about winning victories in your life and our life as well, right? we got to have a pastor. That pastor's got to have some support. But look, we also need spiritual mentors. The Bible says, now here's another fact, you can throw it out. First time in scripture we hear of a man named Joshua. First time we even hear about who Joshua is. Joshua winds up to be one of the guys that goes in as one of the ten spies. Joshua winds up to be one of the guys, the guy that leads the children of Israel in. But do you know what he's doing the first time we hear him in Scripture? He's the guy down there on the battlefield teaching folks how to fight. Now, I shared something with you a little bit ago that you might not have got before. This is the first time the children of Israel has ever been in a fight. These folks were not fighting people. They've been making bricks for the Egyptians. Hey, it don't matter how many of the Egyptian army fail over here at the Red Sea and they picked up their weapons if they didn't know how to use it. Hang on, here's one for you. How many times have we seen folks get saved? Maybe as an adult, maybe as a young adult, maybe as a teenager, maybe as a child. How many times have we seen those folks get saved? They come shake the preacher's hand, they sign the card, they either join by baptism, movement of letter, whatever the case might be. And what do we do? Throw a Bible in their hand, say, here, go get them. What do you do with it? I ain't never seen one of them before. I'm a new Christian. Turn in your Bibles to the book of John 3.16. The book of John? I thought it was the Bible. Somebody's got to get down there like Joshua did and teach them how to use the weapons. It don't make no difference how polished the preacher is up here in the pulpit. It makes no difference how good the choir is Sunday morning after Sunday morning. If somebody's not willing to get down into the trenches of the battlefield and show those who are fighting the battle how to use the weaponry. That's where a lot of battles are won and lost. But I got to get in a hurry. We find here these people that have got to be important in our life. But let me tell you something. Going on the subject of what we just was talking about, these folks are new to, to fighting. They don't know how to use their weapons. Joshua's down there trying to get them together. 
But where was the battle really won? Up on the mountain where Moses was at. Moses in the scriptures is a type of Christ. Moses as he was holding up his staff was interceding. Interceding on everyone else's behalf. Because the Bible didn't say, well, when the children of Israel got weak, they began to lose the battle. Well, because the Israelite army didn't know how to use their weapons, they lost the battle. No. The Bible says when Moses' arms got weak and began to come down, the children of Israel began to lose the battle. As long as Moses' arms were raised high. Remember he's got the staff, the symbol of God, the power of God, the presence of God. And as long as it was raised high, Israel won the battle. Israel won the battle come the end of the day. Not because it had the better fighters. Not because it had the best weapons, but because Moses interceded on behalf of God. Now listen, you'll do well to get what I'm fixing to say. And if you don't understand it, I encourage you to come and talk to me or some of these other folks in the church that I know is fixing to get what I'm fixing to say. And, and let them discuss it with you. Your battles that you win here on earth are actually going to be won in heaven. The battles you win in this world are not going to be won because you're smarter, you're richer, you're more apt to persuade. They're not going to be won on your intelligence or your personality. The battles you win in your life on a spiritual level will be won because the battle was won in heaven. And my friend, I'm going to tell you, I've, I've felt those battles as a pastor as a responsible shepherd of God when I was leading a flock, there were days after days after days that I didn't even know what's going on in people's lives. They just came to my mind. And I knew I needed to pray. Now listen. The Bible only records in this passage one person getting weak. Who was it? It was Moses. I don't know if you understand it or not. But I'm going to try to tell you. I've, I've been trying to tell you the last 45 minutes, I hope. And I hope you're getting it. Our pastor needs our prayers. 
because he's standing between heaven and hell for you and me and the life you're living and the life this church is living. And friend, I'm telling you, it's not easy battle to face. But there's been many of us in this room won battles because he was on the mountain and he was interceding on our behalf. And you need to understand that. Not only do you need people in your life, you also need to know the position that's required to win the victory in your life. The position. What I want to share with you about this is the fact that this term position is not in reference to a position of our bodies, but a position of our heart. Two positions that we need to understand in our heart for us to win victories in our lives. Number one, we must rely completely on God. If this church has not experienced anything in the last four months but this one subject, I believe there's more folks got this in the last four months than any other time in their life. We've got to rely upon God. We can't do it ourselves. With what is in front of us as a church, we've got to rely upon God. But the second position is kind of just right behind it, and it's this. We have to realize our own weakness. We have to realize that we have shortcomings in our lives. We have to realize the fact that in our very own lives there's limitations. There's things I can't do and there's things you can't do. But there's things we do together because we're part of the family of God. And when we pray, I'm, told, I'm not talking, now I'm not trying to make fun of nobody's prayer life, okay? But I'm not talking about the prayer Jalen leads when we get to the end of the service. That's not what kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the offertory prayer or the introductory prayer. I'm not talking about the prayer that you pray if you was to be called on by the preacher in church. I'm talking about that daily communication you have between your heavenly Father that many times is not even heard, many times is not even uttered out of your mouth, but it's a communication of your heart. It's being in tune with the Father. I'm talking about on an everyday basis where He don't even have to tell you you already know you know there's times that your children can start walking towards you and they don't even have to say a word and you know something's wrong my friend I'll tell you you need to be on the same level with God that when you're hurting and you start going towards God I know he already knows but you know that he knows the Bible says that our shepherd will know the voice of the sheep and the sheep will know the voice of a shepherd. I can go out to my farm right now with two boys, one 15 and one 11, 35 goats and about 20 something cows. They're not exactly at our house right now, but we got them. I can do this. And every one of them will stand at attention and see where that come from. Because they know, number one, the goats know that probably means they're fixing to get fed. Number two, 
them two boys know either they need to come do something or they're in trouble. But they know the sound. Do you know the sound of God when he speaks to your heart? Have you gotten close enough to God that you know him and he knows you? Friend, I'm going to tell you, that's the position we need to be in. That's the position of our heart that we know our weakness and we know when we rely upon God that we can see great and wonderful things take place. But that's what's required for us to win the battle. The Bible says that the Word of God will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. When we're headed towards danger, we need to know the voice of God. <clears throat> kind of like your wife. When you're heading in dangerous territory, she don't have to say a whole lot. Y'all don't hang me out to dry like I'm the only one around here. We need to know when God speaks to the point that, hey, there's trouble ahead. We need to be there. But not only if we're going to win battles in our life do we need to know there's people required. Not only do we need to know that there is a position required, but last thing we need to know and in a hurry, there's promises required for us to have victory in our life. The first promise that we need to understand if we're going to have victory in our life is God's always near. Listen, I want you to hear something tonight. It don't matter if you took a wrong turn in life or not. It don't matter if you've headed down a trail that you ought not have been on. It don't matter if you're living a life of disobedience. I'm here to tell you tonight, regardless of where you are, when you hear the voice of God, He's trying to get your attention. And even when you know you're wrong, He's always near. Old preachers used to say he's always a prayer away. Friend, I'm here to tell you he's closer than that. He's ready when you get to the place to say, I can't go any further. You're at the place. You're at the place. A promise. The Bible says that he'd never leave us nor forsake us. Friend, I'm going to tell you the Bible says Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's always near. Second thing you need to understand. Promise required for victorious living. God's already provided for the victory. Are you defeated tonight? Have you been defeated in your life? Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel like there's never a hope for you? Listen, I'm here to tell you God's already provided for the victory. Listen, the children of Israel had left the bitter water of Meribah where it had become sweet. They were headed in the area and got to Rephidim. And I'm telling you, it was a deserted place. There was no water. And God told Moses, just go over there and strike a rock. They are standing on water. They just didn't know where it was at. Friend, I'm here to tell you, you need to understand and you need to know this promise 
regardless of how desperate and destitute you may be, you're probably standing right on the promise, right on the provisions. There's an old story that says, and I think there's even a scripture passage that backs this up, that it's always the darkest right before the light shines through. Friend, I'm telling you, victory is there. It's just there for the taking. We just got to realize that. People feel like that there's no way out. People feel like that there's no way they can do. And boom, God starts opening doors. He lets the shades up, the windows fly open, and the blessings begin to flow. God's already provided for our victory. And last promise you need to understand. God requires obedience much more than sacrifice. If you're going to live in victory, you're going to have to quit fighting it your way and do it his way. God wants you to be victorious. God wants you to live a victorious life. God don't want you down in the dumps. God don't want his children walking around. Oh, did you go to church this way? Yeah, I went to church. I mean, God wants you bouncing with a staff. He wants a grin on your face. He wants you to hold your head up and your shoulders back and tell the world how good he is. That's what he wants in your life. That's what the world needs to see. That's what your neighbors need to see. That's what your co-workers need to see. That's what your family members need to see. You wonder why your family won't come to this place? They've been looking at you and they ain't done much for you yet. <laughs> Claim the promise. Start living in obedience. Support your pastor. Be one of those folks around him. Begin to pray. Open up your prayer closet. Clean the spider webs out. Get that thing ready again. Because God's got a battle. But he's also got a victory. And I hope you're walking in victory tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for the night. I thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit. I thank you for your presence in this place. Father, I pray tonight that we're walking in victory. If there's someone here not walking in victory tonight, Lord, I pray they'll be encouraged to go and speak to somebody. Brother Malcolm may be in Ohio, but God, your spirit is here. And there's folks walking around this church. We'll be tonight as we close out this service. They'd love to come to this altar and pray with them. Father, I pray that people will have the courage to seek somebody out and just seek your face. Lord, I pray your will to be done in all areas of our life. And Father, we begin to live in victory. And all of this we ask in your sweet and holy name. Amen. I want us to just stand to our feet for a little bit. We're not going to have an invitation. I appreciate these ladies coming up here. If you've got something you're dealing with in your life, if there's something going on you want to pray with, y'all know it. Brother Malcolm said it best Sunday morning. Hey, this altar's always got a green light. We're always ready. If you need to pray, you pray. You pray for Brother Malcolm as he travels back home. You pray for all the other folks in our church that are doing ministry. And I know that God's going to continue to bless us. I appreciate you coming out tonight. You got something you need to say to close out? Anybody got anything you need to share? Brother Jalen, anything needs announced?
Okay, that'll be next Wednesday night. Great. Anybody else? All right. Brother Tim Klein, would you just pray a benediction prayer and close us out tonight?